We will read Exodus 7, verses 14 to 25. So the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hard. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning when he goes out to the water, and you shall stand by the river's bank to meet him. And the rod which was turned to a serpent you shall take in your hand. And you shall say to him, Yahweh, God of the Hebrews, has sent me to you, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. But indeed, until now, you would not hear. Thus says the Lord, By this you shall know that I am Yahweh. Behold, I will strike the waters which are in the river with the rod that is in my hand, and they shall be turned to blood. And the fish that are in the river shall die, the river shall stink, and the Egyptians will loathe to drink the water of the river. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, Say to Aaron, Take your rod and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over their streams, over their rivers, over their ponds, and over all their pools of water that they may become blood. And there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, both in wood and stone. And Moses and Aaron did so just as the Lord commanded. So he lifted up the rod and struck the waters that were in the river in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants. And all the waters that were in the river were turned to blood. The fish that were in the river died, the river stank, and the Egyptians could not drink the water of the river, so there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. Then the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments, and Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them as the Lord had said. Pharaoh turned and went into his house, neither was his heart moved by this. So all the Egyptians dug all around the river for water to drink, because they could not drink the water of the river. Seven days passed, after the Lord had struck the river. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to realize what the issue is in this plague. To imagine it, to see your revelation of yourself in it. By this we can know that you are Yahweh. We pray, therefore, that you would show yourself to us in your glory, in your judgment, in your purity and holiness, as Lord of defilement and cleanliness. And Father, cleanse us by your word. Let us no longer be a defiled people. Encourage us that you are larger than our problems, more powerful even than our sin. And you can deliver us from a greater and worse bondage than the bondage of Egypt. Help us to heed your word tonight. Give me great power and boldness to speak those things which I ought to speak to build up your saints. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this, of course, is the first of the ten plagues we looked last week at an overview of all ten. The point of this plague is to show that God can't be thwarted, can't be prevented from delivering his people. He specifically tells Pharaoh, by this you will know that I am Yahweh. He's already spent a lot of time revealing himself to Moses. Exodus is the book of the knowledge of God. 
But Moses is not the only recipient of the knowledge of God. Pharaoh is too. God shows his identity as Yahweh by smiting Egypt, thus teaching Pharaoh to obey his command and let his people go. Pharaoh's a slow learner, just like the rest of us. The motivation for this and for all the plagues, and of course all the plagues end with the same notice, is that Pharaoh's heart became hard. And that's also how the plagues begin. Verse 13, Pharaoh's heart grew hard and he did not heed them. As the Lord had said, so the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hard. This is not a humor technique. Well, not only a humor technique. It is a humor technique to say something and then to repeat it in a different way at times. That's not why the narrator does it. Instead, Moses does that in order to tell us this is how hard Pharaoh's heart is. It's so hard I have to say it and then say it again. But also, and something obscured in every English translation, is that there are actually three different words for hardness in these chapters of Exodus. One is just regular hardness, of course. That's in verse 13. Pharaoh's heart grew hard. Or, I'm sorry, that's, that's not in verse 13. Verse 13 is the one that primarily occurs, the one for resolute or strong. Pharaoh had made up his mind. He was determined. So that hardness is the hardness of revolution, but resolution. But verse 14 is a different hardness, the hardness of heaviness, literally. Pharaoh's heart is heavy, God tells Moses. Now, of course, in English, our idiom, a heavy heart, means that you're sad. Pharaoh's heart is in his boots. He's just having a rough day, right? He's sadder than a surfboard in Wyoming. But that's not what God is trying to say. No, Pharaoh's heart is heavy. Now in Egypt, it was believed at this time that when you died, your heart went down into the underworld and there it was weighed in the scales against what? The feather of justice and righteousness. And if your heart was heavier than the feather of justice and righteousness, you went on to punishments in the underworld. If your heart was lighter than the feather of justice and righteousness, then you were a good person and your heart moved on to good things. So against this Egyptian backdrop, God says, God uses this terminology to say, Moses, Pharaoh's heart is heavy. Seems pretty clear to my mind, though not all the commentators agree, that God is speaking in terms of this Egyptian religion. Pharaoh's heart is is unrighteous. His heart massively outweighs the feather of justice and righteousness. Pharaoh is a bad human being. His heart is loaded with unrighteousness. And because he's unrighteous, because he's not just, he's going to retain the people. His heart is resolute, verse 13. He's made up his mind. He's not going to let them go. Furthermore, his heart is evil, verse 14. He's bad. His heart is not filled with justice and righteousness. So that's the motivation. God smites him with the ten plagues in order to challenge the the resolution of his evil heart. Now, of course, our default understanding as humans is that every time something bad happens to me, it's this. 
God is plaguing me because I did something bad. Now that can happen, right? Pharaoh is exhibit A. Pharaoh says, God, I won't obey you, so God plagues Pharaoh. But we as humans can say, oh, I made a bad investment decision. Oh, things are not working for me. Oh, right, my students' grades keep slipping, even though I keep trying harder. My failure in this area or that area is only getting more pronounced. My hard time is getting worse. What did I do wrong? Am I secretly Pharaoh? Is my heart heavy with sin? Is my heart resolute in unrighteousness? The plague stories can lead us to think that every bad thing is God plaguing us. Don't think that way. How long have we had before? How many warnings? In other words, did Pharaoh wake up in the morning and say, look out the window and say, man, why is the river bloody today? Are the gods chastising Egypt? We can see from this book, the book of the knowledge of God, that God gives warnings before the plagues start. Pharaoh knows exactly why these bad things are happening. He does not need to wonder, worry, say, oh, life is rough suddenly. I must have offended the gods. No, he knows that he's offended the gods. He knows exactly what he's done wrong. And he knows exactly what he needs to do in order to take the plagues away. All the plagues are motivated simply by this. Pharaoh's resolute heart, laden down with sin, will not obey God on this key point of letting the people go. God knows this, so he tells Moses, here's another warning. Yes, Pharaoh won't listen. Go to Pharaoh in the morning and tell him, I've told you this a lot of times, and I'm telling you, Again, right? Mother's Day, sermon clearly ties into motherhood here. Moses gets to be like a mother. And warn everybody, once again, you're wrong. Stop. And Pharaoh listens just as well as your typical human child. Maybe even a little worse than a typical child. God even spells it out. Let my people go, but until now, you wouldn't hear. I've told you this a lot. Pharaoh, you're not listening. But nonetheless, thus says the Lord, by this you shall know that I am Yahweh. That's what the plague is about. Pharaoh's going to learn the identity of God. He's going to learn who Yahweh is. It was the most important thing that Moses needed to know. It was the most important thing Israel needed to know. And it's also the most important thing Pharaoh needs to know. Do we actually believe that compared with the value of knowing Christ, our bank account, our success in parenting, our success in doing the church thing, our success in having stuff, right? 
I take pride in keeping all the notifications cleared off my phone and it's perfect. Or I take pride in keeping the fruit in just the exact right spot on my counter. Or whatever it is. Do we really realize that these activities are about as valuable as a gallon of raw sewage compared to the excellency of knowing Christ? That's what Pharaoh needed to learn. This, by this you shall know that I am Yahweh. Being independent, being autonomous, being Lord of Egypt, being master of Hebrew slaves, none of that should have meant anything to Pharaoh compared to this promise that God gave him. You will know that I am Yahweh. Right, and that then brings up the question, well, how do we spend our time? What really is most valuable to us? Do we live as though, well, I'm, politics are more valuable to me than knowing Jesus. Money is more valuable to me than knowing Jesus. Family is more valuable to me than knowing Jesus. Looking good to my church friends, that's more valuable to me. Right? The Christian is the opposite of Pharaoh because Pharaoh was hell-bent on denying the knowledge of God. Right? Pharaoh probably went out after this plague and got those monkeys tattooed on his arm. The see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil monkey. But instead of evil, he could pencil in Yahweh. See no Yahweh, hear no Yahweh, never pray to Yahweh. That was Pharaoh's attitude through these plagues. And the Christian is the opposite. The Christian is set on knowing Christ no matter what. Saying, I'm determined to see Him. I'm determined to hear Him. I'm determined to speak to Him. Again, where do we see Him? Where do we hear Him? In His Word, in His church, among His people. That's how we meet with the Lord Jesus. We see Him in the plagues as the one who says, my people's welfare is valuable to me. I will move heaven and earth to get them freed. So God says, I'll strike the river and turn it to blood. That will show something of who I am. Later in, in the Pentateuch, in Leviticus, blood is represented, even here in Exodus, blood is represented as defiling. And cleansing. It has those two sides to it. Anybody who touches blood is unclean and has to wash in water and be unclean till evening. But also, everything under the law is purified with blood, and everything in the tabernacle that gets defiled by sin has to have the holy sacrificial blood painted on it with a finger or some hyssop in order to be cleansed. What is God saying by flooding Egypt with blood? He's saying, I'm Lord of pollution. I'm Lord of cleanliness. I can defile your land, make it stink, make it impossible to wash. I can cleanse your land from its sin. Those two sides of the coin are there. God could turn the source of life into a source of death. The Nile is the life of Egypt. But when filled with blood, it's the source of death to Egypt. 
And God can overturn the order of nature for the sake of the order of grace. Take away water and substitute blood in its place. Jesus comes later and turns water into wine to show the blessings of the new covenant. But at this point, he turns water into blood to show the curses on those who won't let his people go. The plague was a threat, a disaster, and a blow, and it was all of those things for the sake of the good news that God saves his people. And Pharaoh was allowed to join in that if he only would. He could have stopped living for himself and started living for the knowledge of the Almighty. So Moses and Aaron announce what they're going to do, and then they do it. They turn the water into blood. One can imagine that they smite the Nile first, and it turns into blood in front of Pharaoh, and then Aaron stands with the staff, and he points in this direction, in that direction, in that direction. And everywhere he points, all the water radiating out that way turns into blood. What is God sending? A definite message. Pharaoh, no matter how hard your heart, my power is greater than the hardness of your heart. You can resist 20 tons of pressure? Fine, I'll put on 21. You can resist 50? Fine, I'll put on 55. Surrender now, Pharaoh. But the magicians do the same. They get some water and they turn it into blood. Where did they get the water from? People love to talk about that question, but there are so many good answers. They went to the Mediterranean, which is not in Egypt, but which is right next to Egypt. And they got water there. They went to Israel, which was spared from the effects of the plague, presumably, and got water there. They drew water from the wells that were dug around the Nile at the end of our text. They got water there. It doesn't matter where they got the water from. What matters is the hardness of Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh says, Aha! You're just magicians after all, just as he did with the serpents. Your power might be greater in degree, not greater in kind. You're just a better magician than my court magicians. What's so amazing about that? Lots of private entrepreneurs are better than bureaucrats at the things that they set their hands to do. And so, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. Pharaoh grows yet more resolute. I will not submit. I will not surrender. I will not admit that God won this round. My department of magic can perform the same sign. They may not have quite as much power, but the basic reality is there. It's Pharaoh's attitude. Egypt's king is learning about the king of the universe, but he's a slow pupil. We, in our church, see great demonstrations of God's power to save and sanctify sinners all the time. We've never seen a river turn to blood, especially not the longest river in the world. But even though we see God's power, we often get more resolved on our sin. Oh, this isn't a sin. Oh, this habit is okay. 
Oh, it's not really so bad, or I'm just making up for the years when I didn't do it, or name our excuse. We all have them. So this search for water, as all the Egyptians are digging around the river, they abandon their daily work, and they have to go dig. Because when the water isn't available, it quickly rises to the status of an emergency. If your water is off for 30 minutes or a couple of hours, well, that's no big deal. But if there's no water to be had anywhere, you drop everything and start digging for water. And surely this is a great picture of the ridiculous coping mechanisms in which we indulge to validate our sin. If we had simply obeyed God in the first place, these coping behaviors wouldn't be necessary. If you weren't so hard-hearted that you had to be plagued, you wouldn't have had to go to such extraordinary lengths to get water. But so it is. Pharaoh is learning about God. The Egyptians are learning about God. The plague lasts for a week. Only one other plague has a specific duration recorded. The ninth plague, which lasted three days. So God was teaching about his might. He was teaching Pharaoh who he was. He's a God who will strike in order to free his people. He's not a pacifist. He's not a believer in nonviolence. Though, of course, turning water into blood is nonviolent at this point. But nor is he mean, cruel, or pushy. Pharaoh, do this or take the consequences. Pharaoh won't do it. He prefers to take the consequences. God is perfect in everything, including his use of force. It's all for the sake of saving his people, demonstrating his power, saying to Israel, this is who I am. I'm the God who saves you. Saying to Pharaoh, this is who I am. I'm the God who stands against you and says, let my people go. Trust him, know him, and if you do, You'll have learned the lesson of the first plague. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, don't let us think that bad things and disasters in our lives are the fruit of some sin we don't know about. Lord, we know our sins well enough, though we do pray that you would show them to us better. Father, help us not to be like Pharaoh, not to harden our hearts, not to insist on having it all our own way. Help us to submit to you. And Father, we pray especially, as one sense we know how to submit to you, it's very simple, we just obey you, and yet in another sense, it's a lifelong skill that we need to cultivate. And we can sit here and say, I don't know how to submit to God. I want to do what's right. I'm trying And it just doesn't seem to be coming exactly. Lord, help us. We see over and over your patience with your servant, your dialogue with Moses at the burning bush, for instance. We pray that you would help us to know exactly what the next step is in submission to you. That you would help us to lay down everything that stands against that. And that we would be able to give our fate and our problems 
and our worries right over into your hands and say, Lord, you delivered Israel from Egypt. You are perfectly capable of turning rivers into blood or into milk or into wine or any other thing that I need. Father, help me. Help us, Lord. We do want to submit to you. We don't want to be Pharaoh. Our hearts want to be soft. Soften them, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's stand and sing together hymn 645. Jesus, the very thought of thee. 645, this is what Pharaoh needed to see who Jesus really is. Thank you.